Here we are on the week of Big 12 Football Media Days. It's back after COVID canceled the unofficial start to college football season last year. For me, I'll be missing Media Days for the first time since 2017. So unfortunately, I will not be able to provide you all, loyal listeners, with an in-depth on-the-ground update from Arlington, which was the case at the last Big 12 Media Days back in 2019. Sure, I'd like to be there to take it all in, but... I've got a pretty good excuse for my absence. Grant and I will be out in Las Vegas this week betting our life savings on black, or more likely, college football win totals. We've got a family wedding in Sin City that is sure to be a great time, despite the projected temps being around 110, which, if you've never experienced that before, just think back to your first time you went to OU Texas, and in the third quarter, you were willing to pay 100 bucks for a sip of water because... In early October in Texas, it sometimes feels like you're on the surface of the sun. Enough about that. You're all here for my Oklahoma football talk, and some pretty big news came down since our last episode. Mikey Henderson is no longer with the program. Felony charges of robbery, conspiracy, and assault. Investigators say he's connected with the same April robbery that resulted in Trajan Bridges and Seth McGowan being dismissed from the team. The Bridges and McGowan situation was ugly, stupid, and annoying. And it was all resolved pretty much before the Oklahoma spring game in late April. Both players were nowhere to be found during that game, although it wasn't until May when they were officially kicked off the team. At the time, I didn't think that ordeal would have much of an effect on the 2021 Oklahoma season. After all, Bridges had barely played at OU. Sure, he was once a five-star prospect, but so many different circumstances resulted in his impact being not during his two plus years with the program and yes Seth McGowan was a promising prospect in that OU running back room a good player that would have been fighting to be that third back behind Eric Gray and Kennedy Brooks this year both players would have contributed in 2021 but in my estimation losing those guys was not the end of the world especially if Oklahoma was eliminating student athletes who were toxic to the locker room but here we are in mid-July and that stupid night in April is once again impacting this football team. Mikey Henderson was a fan favorite, a West of Everest favorite, and potentially a Lincoln Riley favorite. Riley hinted earlier this year that Henderson was ready for a much bigger role in 2021. My theory was that Riley liked Henderson so much that Henderson was moved from H-back to running back because Riley thought it would be best for the team to get Mikey in the rotation for touches behind Brooks and Gray. For a team that we all think could be better than it's been in a long, long time, this offseason has been less than ideal. Bridges, McGowan, and now Henderson, gone. Isaiah Thomas, perhaps the leader of the OU defense, was arrested in June. Fortunately, he was charged with a misdemeanor, and the team will handle it internally. No judgments here. People get charged with misdemeanors all the time. It's just unfortunate that this happened during the summer, leading into a season that's being projected as very special by a lot of people around the nation and around college football. Now, there's no need to push the panic button, obviously. Spencer Rattler is still scheduled to be Oklahoma's starting quarterback. Lincoln Riley is still the head coach and the offensive coordinator. The aforementioned Isaiah Thomas and Nick Benito and Perrion Winfrey and many other talented defensive players are still scheduled to play this fall. And Alex Grinch is still the one calling the plays. But the reality of the situation is that we could be in for another season of uneven running back play. And that's a direct result of poor off-the-field decisions made by two now former 
Oklahoma running backs earlier this year. The Sooners have four scholarship backs on the roster right now. Kennedy Brooks, Eric Gray, Marcus Major, and transfer Trey Bradford. In a perfect world, health won't be an issue at all in 2021, and Brooks, Gray, and whoever else can carry the mail for the Sooners' backfield. Yet, counting on a perfect world is stupid. It means you're living in a fantasy world. Will Oklahoma find a way to add another running back before fall camp? Can they even do that? Is it too late? Or will a national championship contending club go into the 2021 season with just four scholarship running backs on its roster? Hey, maybe we'll get some clarity on that question this week at Big 12 Media Days. But that could just be me living in a fantasy world. I'm Lee Benson, and this is West of Everest. So here's the thing. For this show, I was hoping Grant and I could do a big reveal of our preseason Big 12 media poll and our preseason All-Big 12 team. But the conference decided to release all of that information a week early this year. So it kind of takes away a little bit of the fun, but we'll still find a way to talk about all the stuff and tell you some of the things that we like and that we dislike about the teams and the poll. Also, name, image, likeness, in full effect. We talked about that a little bit in our last episode, but that was before July 1st. Now Spencer Rattler's out there making money hand over fist and his offensive line are the happiest people in the world because they can get raisin canes whenever they want. Just ask Spencer to give them some. It's it's great. So let's bring in Grant for the first time now to see where he wants to begin with everything today. Grant, what's going on? Nothing much, Lee. It's uh, it's 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 Vegas Eve for both of us, baby. And I'm just, that's, that's pretty much where, where my mind is right now. Man, I was getting, uh, I was drawing a blank last week. What is the, uh, what's the saying or the, what, what do you call whenever you're kind of just checked out and, you know, let's, it happens a lot, you know, it's Friday and people want to get out. Is, is there a saying for that? The only thing I could think of was the last day of school or something, or when you're a senior and you, know, you hear about senioritis and you're like, eh, I'm, I'm over this. I want to move on. Is there Am I just making this up? Is there, is there a term for whenever you're just kind of out the door, you got one foot out the door and you're ready to get to the next thing, you're ready to go on vacation? I feel like there is. But the only thing I can think of right now is check out. Which, okay. you know, well, maybe that's uh, it. Of course, you can't define a word with, with the exact same definition. So, uh, no, I, that's <laughs> what, an interesting, uh, what an interesting way to start the show, Lee. Okay, well, yeah, that was stupid. And, you know, sometimes you just got to say, who cares? That, that was dumb. Okay, well, uh, all of a sudden we're going to transition to something kind of serious. I talked about it in the opening take. So it, it's, uh, if you're listening to this podcast, I, I just talked about Mikey Henderson and the whole running back room situation. So the last time we were on the show, you may remember, Grant, I, uh, I hinted that there might be some other running back problems coming and... Uh, I know this is a cop out. This is lame. This is stupid. You guys are hate this stuff because I hate it whenever people do this on radio and podcasts. But I'm doing it right now. I ha- I, had, I had heard that Henderson might be a thing, and uh, unfortunately, it is a thing. He's gone now. So Mikey Henderson, a player that both of us like a lot, Oklahoma Sooner Nation loved a lot. Uh, talking to uh, Dusty Dvorak last night, he came onto the Blitz. Dusty loved Mikey Henderson a lot. Everyone seemed to love Mikey Henderson. He's gone. This, and I think you'll probably agree with me, and maybe a lot of Oklahoma fans also agree, uh, this this hurts a lot more than Bridges and McGowan being gone, Grant. Your thoughts on Henderson being dismissed? 
Oh, I disagree with that quite quite a bit. Um, I guess maybe not too radically. Oh, I, embrace debate. Uh, em- embrace debate. Uh, and I mean, I no, I mean, bridges is clearly the what was clearly the most important one. Um, just because if I mean, if you believe all of the word that was coming out of practice, pray that he was he's the best receiver on the team. So, um, of course, that hurts yeah, well, a little I, bit. I, I I don't really believe it. So, and also because I haven't seen it, and so that's why it was pretty kind of whatever for me because he's been here for two plus years, hasn't really done much. So, out of sight, out of mind. That's why to me, yeah. I guess I just I didn't once I start to sort of look at everything on the you can only give the ball to so many people on OU's offense Mikey Henderson wasn't going to touch it that much this year see but that's again that's a difference of opinion that that was a big part of my theory is that that's why he got moved to the running back room because I think Lincoln Riley thought "Ah, we got to get this guy more touches somehow and that's my opinion I don't have anything to back it up the only thing that I have to back it up a bit is Lincoln Riley earlier this year during the spring talking about how Henderson uh, was, you know, he kind of hinted that he was ready to get a bigger role coming in the, in, in the fall. There are, there are some rumors that uh, him moving to the running back room was just appeasement to appease him because that's what he wanted. That's a rumor. Ooh. It's a rumor. I'm not, I, I, this is, but I mean, it doesn't hey, really hey, matter. Hey, we guys can do on rumors on, hey. Yeah, he's on the team. I would, say, like, I would say we can do rumors on the podcast. It's a podcast. You can talk about whatever you want. Yeah, that's yeah, that's true. Uh, uh, but no, but I yeah, just he's, I, he's, he's gone. The, the more yeah. that I think about it, the guy just he, he wasn't going to get a whole lot of touches this year. And whenever he did, it was going to be blatantly obvious that he was going to touch the ball. Um, kind of seemed like every time he stepped on the field last season, he got the ball. Um, it's like there there was no there was no tricking there whatsoever. Uh, but also at the same time, you have to if I'm going to criticize him for that, you also have to bring up that when he had the ball in his hands, he looked pretty explosive, pretty hard to tackle. Um, so from that, you know from that angle then sure yeah sure it's it's a fairly it's a fairly large loss i mean it's a guy who can take who can take it to the house that is not on the team anymore um but also at the same time i kind of feel like mikey henderson coming to this season was a luxury he wasn't a guy they absolutely needed um and now of course like you you take as many x factors as you possibly can guys who can take the ball to the house as much as you possibly can but i you know i i just can you explain why you think it's the biggest deal? I guess I'm I'm kind of confused as to why. I mean, he 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 was at best going to be the third string running back. Um, like I I think we both agree that Brooks and Gray are going to get a vast majority of the carries, and that was going to be the case regardless if Mikey Henderson was on the team or not. So, and especially you and I. I mean, we've you and I have kind of poo pooed the running back position in the past, saying it's not as important. Um, as, as a lot of people make it out to be. And yeah, I think there's some truth to that. And there's some, you know, it's also not as, not as simple as that as well. But I don't know, man. I just like this one, I'll be honest with you. When I saw this, I kind of shrugged. I was like, yeah, if that's like, if, if this is kind of the worst thing that comes out of that entire situation, if it's, if it's just Henderson, he's the only one gone. And oh, along with Bridges and McGowan too. I don't know. This isn't really something that absolutely makes me push the panic button. Um, hmm. Right. Yeah. No one's pushing the panic button. Let me try to address some of the things you just said there. Uh, in the past, I certainly have said running back, not that important of a position. Last season changed my mind a bit, though, because the way I've always looked at running back, especially for a team like Oklahoma, it's a plug and play position. Great offense, usually a really good offensive line. Don't mess it up. And without Ramondre Stevenson and without Candy Brooks for the first half of the year, uh, TJ Pledger just he, he was okay he was okay uh, McGowan flashed for a, a couple of snaps here and there but he he wasn't that good and Marcus Major uh, wasn't all that good to start so 
that's when I kind of realized, okay, running back is a lot, a little more important than, than I, than I had previously uh, said. Uh, that was the first time really it kind of crystallized for me, especially when Ramondre came back. It just, it gave that, that room a lift. So, uh, so there's that. And, and again, the, the reason why I think this is such a big deal is yes, Gray Brooks, the two main guys, but injuries, depth, and the fact that Lincoln Riley over time at Oklahoma has periodically mixed in a lot of running backs and the depth and the, let's see, the, the hierarchy of, of who gets the ball seems to change throughout the season. And who's to say that, uh, yes, Gray and Brooks are there, but who's to say that if a guy like Mikey Henderson, because I think he would have been the third best guy, that's, that's why I think it's so important. I think he would have been up there. Who's to say a guy like that, maybe latter half of the year, if for some reason maybe Brooks or Gray, weirdly enough, started to slow down or wasn't as effective. I mean, weirdly, we saw in 2019, Trey Sermon all of a sudden just didn't look like the Trey Sermon that we had seen the previous two years and other players had to jump in and, and kind of take his spot. What if that would have happened? I would have thought Mikey Henderson would have been the next guy up getting those snaps. So that's why I was so uh, that that's why I say this is a, a bigger deal. And I mean, I guess you could throw McGowan in there as well, because inevitably he would have improved. You would you would assume in a, in a year two with more experience, a full summer, a full fall camp, uh, a, a spring practice. You would have hoped that he got better as well. And then a Marcus major. Uh, and but you know, perhaps it's perhaps it's it's also it's Henderson. I like him the most of all those running backs aside from Gray and Brooks. But also it's just adding to the fact that the running back room is being depleted again. And it was an issue last year, and now it's becoming an issue going into this season. See, I think that's the, that's the best angle you have there. It's, 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 it's more of just sort of a, uh, of a big problem just with the running back room. Because, yeah, any way you cut it, when you lose four scholarship running backs year over year, that's not good. And that's right. OU's lost four, right? Ramondre, Pledger, McGowan, and Henderson now. And so, yeah, yeah. I mean, clearly from a numbers standpoint, that ain't good. That's not good at all. Um, yeah, I mean, sure. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of having my fingers crossed that there's no injuries. Of like, obviously. Um, but at the same time, you know, I just, I'm, you know, your your guy Dusty was was talking up Trey Bradford uh, the other night. I saw that. Um, he's saying that he's, you know, he's heard some good things about him. Um. I'm 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 kind of at the point right now where I I just kind of like to see how they shake out in games before I kind of lose my mind, um, because if you remember last season we went into that yearly you and I both were just not concerned about running backs really at all, even with Ramondre out, and uh, it wasn't until I got to see the saw you know the running back room with my eyes and what was happening before I realized oh crap they're definitely missing something with Ramondre, um, so I don't know I, and I know that's kind of a cop out right now but. You got Kennedy Brooks. Kennedy Brooks is is arguably the most underrated player in the Big Twelve. Uh, we think Eric Gray is going to be a huge part of the offense. You know they got a really good one-two punch there, and I, I I understand that injuries happen, and we're we're very likely to see all of these guys, you know, in you know in, in big, large, small roles throughout this entire season. This one, I'm just, I'm just really not too concerned about this yet. Mostly because I think Brooks and Gray are outstanding. Like they're, they're both really good. I think this is, I think Brooks and Gray is definitely the best one-two punch they've had at running back since Pirine and Mixon. Um, and I'm, I'm excited to see them go. Of course, if I mean, if, if one of them gets hurt, 
a lot of that goes out the window. Um, I guess you just kind of sit back and you hope for for an injury free season with running backs, which actually could be kind of a could be kind of a fool's errand, but we'll see. Yeah, and that's what I talked about a little bit at the end of my opening take. Is sure you can hope for injuries to not be an issue, and if it's not an issue and those guys are able to play a full season, oh yeah, I'm not worried about the running back room at all, at all. Uh, if and if you think to and maybe I'm just making this up, but doesn't it seem like in the NFL? I know this is college compared to the NFL, but it's a longer season. If the in, in the NFL, doesn't it seem like if you have two two good running backs, usually NFL teams are good. It's almost like yeah, you got your main guy. If you have a, a pretty good backup, it seems like it works out for the most part. For the uh, again, maybe I'm just it's anecdotal, and I'm just making this up off the top of my head. But in theory, then if if my ridiculous anecdotal thing I just said there that may or may not be true <laughs> translates to college, a shorter season, Oklahoma in theory could be fine, and then especially you throw in. Uh, the rest of the running back room, even though there's there's two other scholarship guys, Major and Bradford. It's just, uh, yeah, it's it's just it's disconcerting. And it makes me wonder. I'll ask you this: Is it? Po- I mean, are they going to go into the season with only four scholarship running backs? Is it too late to get something from the from the portal? Because it it seems like you can still get guys from the portal whenever you want, just as long as as long as there's people that are that are there that want to come and and, and you want to grab them. I mean, the question there is going to be quality, right? Of course. I mean, they're, yeah, 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 they're. They're going to have no problem finding a guy in the portal who's like, yeah, I'll come to OU for sure. Um, is the quality there, though? And also, I mean, you're going to can you get quality when the guy coming in probably at best is going to be the third running back on the team? Um, and I don't even know who's available. I don't even know if there's anyone that good available. Right. I don't- I don't either. I don't either. Having that been said, I kind of you ha- I, I kind of think you got to kick the tires on it. You got to at least look. Um, just because, yeah, four scholarships we saw last year, it's not enough. It isn't enough. Um, and yeah, now the more hearing you talk, it's just, I'm, I just, I, I would not be comfortable if, if Marcus major was, was one, was, was the top guy or one of the top two guys getting carries that wouldn't, I, I, in my opinion, that just would not be a very good thing for this offense. Um, and Hey, this is, I'll, I'll, I'll grant that Marcus major looked good in the cotton bowl playing against uh Florida scout team. But, um, <laughs> I, Marcus Major looked looked really bad last year, and I know that's maybe unfair to him. He just didn't look very good last year at all. Um, hey, maybe the light turned on in the Cotton Bowl. I don't know, but uh, I yeah. I just I'm just I'm not counting on Marcus Major in the least bit whatsoever. And let's say they don't pick up another running back. That means that they're going into the season with four scholarship backs and two walk ons. Todd Hudson, my man, Todd Hudson. And Jade Knowles, who had a pretty good spring game, which, you know, Hudson and Knowles each kind of made plays in that spring game, which that's kind of the bit, right, is who's the random guy that makes plays in spring game, but you're never going to hear from again. Well, if they go into the season with only four scholarship running backs, Jaden Knowles and Todd Hudson are going to be the, the happiest guys in the world. I guarantee you that because they're going to be thinking for the first time since we've been here, granted, Knowles is, I guess they both, they're both, uh, one's a redshirt sophomore, one's a redshirt junior. So they've been around a little bit. For the first time, they're going to be thinking like, holy crap, we could potentially get some snaps here and there that actually mean something. Uh, in addition to that, though, this is almost a total sidebar uh, that I'll just throw out there because I've made this, I, I've brought this up before in the past, just if Oklahoma's at uh, a need, if, if they're at an emergency status at running back, Jeremiah Hall can play that position. And it makes you wonder if they go into it, with, if they don't get another running back out of the transfer portal, Will Jeremiah Hall kind of be that emergency fifth guy or whatever? If you know that's and 
Probably, yeah. Probably, yes. I mean, like, you got him. He's a veteran. He's 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 more than capable of doing it. Is that what you yeah, think? Yeah, I don't. I would. I I'd have no problem with that whatsoever. Um, you at least know he's going to be in the right places if that's the case. He's probably not the easiest yeah. guy to tackle, you know, between the tackles as well. So yeah, I mean, like, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised at all if we see. Yeah, if we see more Jeremiah Hall than Marcus Major this year, at that. Um, We'll see, though. I, I, I don't know. Who, who knows what... Uh, actually, I kind of find this interesting now because with Mikey Henderson gone, I think everybody just assumed that he was going to step into the Jeremiah Hall role. Do they have anybody on the roster right now who, is, who can play that position outside of Jeremiah Hall? I mean, Braden Willis, I know. Yeah. H-back. Like, do they have any recruits? Yeah, Braden. Let's see. Because I, 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 you know, I thought the conventional wisdom that that was Mikey. Mikey was going to play that position. Well, well, Mikey was in. The, he was, he was running back. You mean like after they moved him to running back? Well, Mikey was. He was an H back last season. That that right. was his role. Yeah, that's. I think because everyone thought that Mikey was just sort of the heir apparent to Jeremiah Hall when he moved on. That's not the case anymore. So I'm I'm, I'm curious now, and of course, you know, we're not going to talk about recruiting a lot on this podcast, but I'm sort of I'm sort of interested to see what their plan is for that because I know you know the H back has been a really big deal in, in Lincoln Riley's offense. Are th- I mean, yeah, are they looking gonna- at the roster, because yeah, I mean, Willis can do it, but you know, and he's probably the guy right he's, now. He's got to be on the field more- for him to do it. Yeah, and, yeah, true. And, and Stogner's more of a tight end; he doesn't really play the H back role like Hall. Uh, the other person on the roster that we saw in the spring game that who who knows maybe he'll actually be something now that especially with uh, Henderson gone is Jackson Sumlin. Who knows? He's a receiver I mean, he though, fine. He? Uh, he's listed as an H back tight end. Oh, he H-back, is so. interesting. Is he big? What's his size? 6'2", 207, so not that big. Oh, he's small. But yeah. Oh, he's not small. He's, compar- he's, a big, he's a big guy, yeah, relatively speaking. Comparison's sake, uh, Jeremiah Hall's 244, same height. So Hall's got him by about, what is that, third? Is that 40 pounds? Almost close 40 to, pounds. Yeah, yeah, I mean, close to 35 pounds. I mean, that's... Yeah, I don't know. I'm just... I, like, And, of course, I like that's not going to... That's not going to, you know, this season is not going to hinge on that. I'm just, I thought it was kind of interesting. I don't, I'm, I'm very curious to see what they, what they do in the next, if it's this recruiting class or the next one, I'm not sure. Like, I don't know, like would, eh, who knows? I, I was going to say like, would, would, would Lincoln Riley phase out the H back if, you know, if like, if it wasn't. I mean, if somehow he didn't have a guy on his team that could fulfill that role, I'm sure he would get creative but the thing is it's such an important position that you know he's recruiting for it and if not he'll he'll transition somebody he'll make some he'll make it work uh, I can't imagine that position just being phased out I mean I can see it maybe for I don't know I was gonna say maybe for a game or two but that doesn't even make sense um, so because we know how important that position is and it's a position where they're expected to know legitimately what everybody on the field does I mean, receivers, running backs, uh, maybe even offensive line, what they do. I mean, it's, it's one of the most heady positions on the field. I remember talking to Braden Willis about that a couple of years ago. Uh, the last thing on this that I want to just bring up again, and I'm going <laughs> to sound like I did last week. So the running back room, we got four scholarship running backs, two walk-ons. Just be aware that things could change. And – I, 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 can't, I can't say anything 
you know, in stone right now, but I'll just say that I'm pretty confident. Just I'm going to guess. It's an educated guess that Oklahoma is right now trying to find somebody out of the transfer portal, and they need, they're going to try to find somebody else and bring somebody else in uh, if they can, another scholarship guy, uh, that they don't want to go in there with four scholarship running backs. And uh, I guess I'll just leave it at that. They should get creative. They they should look in FCS. They should go everywhere looking for running. I kind of feel like you could. That's one of the diamond in the roughs. You could find a really good one by doing by doing okay. some homework. I feel like. All right, so let's switch over to the Big Twelve preseason media poll. So we'll do the media poll first before we get to the the team. And uh, no surprise, Oklahoma number one. I think it was the sixth straight year that they were voted number one by the media. Then Iowa State two, Texas three. OSU 4, TCU 5, West Virginia 6, K-State 7, Baylor, Texas Tech, and Kansas, of course, rounds out the bottom three. So, again, usually we were going to go ahead and go over ours, and then the preseason polls would come out, and then we could react to it and everything. It's already out, so at this point, uh, I guess we just kind of say, do we agree or do we disagree? And I'll throw it over to you, Grant. What do you agree with? Did, did your poll look exactly the same as this one, or... Do you have some uh, some nits to pick or whatever with the media? It's I mean, it's not like it's I don't think it's too egregious. I think this, you know, the only slam dunk in this conference is, you know, if you're not picking OU to win the conference, you're trying way too hard. Um, I Other than that, like I, it wouldn't surprise me at all if we see, you know, the next four or five teams in the conference just kind of beat up on each other. So I don't have any problem with people picking Iowa State there. Like that's that's kind of the obvious pick. I got a ton of their production back. Everyone knows what Campbell has done there. Purdy, Kohler, Brees Hall, Xavier Hutchinson, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, having that been said, no, I don't I don't have Iowa State finishing second. I just I to me it just seems too perfect for them. For the like it just seems it seems way too storybook for them to come out and have like a really great season. Um, especially after last season, they kind of caught everybody by surprise. Um I just don't see that happening again this year. I, I just last year was so weird with COVID and everything that was happening. I just think it really did benefit kind of the blue-collar teams like like Iowa State, uh, the teams that are, are able to focus in, have really good coaching staff, are able to focus in and block out all the noise, take advantage of things that other schools aren't able to do, maybe because of lack of discipline. Um, I thought I thought COVID was was kind of the perfect storm for Iowa State last season. And that's not to say this, that's not a good team. They're, they're a good team. Clearly, they're a good team. I just They're just not even close to the most, you know, Outside of OU, they're just—they're not even close to the most talented team in the conference outside of OU. Which means they're going to be going up against guys or other teams who they're projected to finish in front of that have better athletes and better players than them. And I just—I I, don't—that's not a very good equation for them. So I have—I I have TCU finishing second, and we can go into that more. Um, and I, may, I think I may have picked them last year second as well. Um, I just—you know—I I, just. I think I think it's almost a coin flip for that two spot. Honestly, the two, three, four, and five spots in this conference I think is a coin flip right now. Uh, it, it may it may come down to just who has home field advantage in these matchups. Yeah, that's that's certainly a hot take. I haven't heard anybody put TCU that high, but I do think your point is valid. That there's an argument for anybody at two: Iowa State, TCU, Texas. Those three T. Excuse me, those three teams. Now you want to get outside of those three teams for the second spot, then you're going to have to do some gymnastics. I think I, I just don't. 
Uh, you know, Oklahoma State, sure, they have a returning quarterback. Their defense is supposed to be really good, so maybe. Uh, but other than that, I get it. Um, I, my, my poll top three is the same. I, I, I buy into Iowa State. I, I mean, they're really good, and at least they're supposed to be really good. And I was texting you this earlier this week. We're going to find out all we need to know about Iowa State, I think, in the first couple of weeks because it just seems like every single year early in the season they play against Iowa and they never beat Iowa. If they can beat Iowa finally, then, okay, something's different with this team. And I don't even care if Iowa's supposed to be good or not or bad or whatever. They can never beat Iowa. And it's dumb because by the end of the season, Iowa State's always playing a lot better than Iowa. They're always playing in this. But for whatever reason, early in the year, they're all, Iowa always gets them. And, and maybe it's a, it's a thing with Matt Campbell where they don't start fast. I mean, last season they got beat immediately uh, by whatever, Louisiana, was it uh, Lafayette? Or Monroe they also, or one of those they also don't de- they don't defend smash mouth eye formation well at all. That's why K- that's that's why Kansas State has been able to have success against Campbell's Iowa State. Huh. So that's interesting to me. Is it's kind of the early season? How do they play? Uh, obviously, Brock Purdy is a good player, but he's also <laughs> he also tends to throw a lot of interceptions and make uh, some boneheaded plays. And it's just up to the defense to actually catch the ball, which we saw finally in the Big Twelve title game. But I, you know, I buy into Iowa State. They got a lot of players back. Their offense, a lot of, I mean, and, and plus they, you know, Kohler came back. Uh, Brees Hall came back. I think Brees Hall could have gone to the NFL if he would have wanted to. These guys came back because they, they believe that they have something special there in Ames. And so I have them at number two. And then, you know, Texas at three, just because I, I like Sark. And I know that there's a whole, the whole discussion over Texas of like, oh, even if the coach is really good, can he overcome all of the other things at Texas, the administration, all the boosters? I get that, and we don't know that yet. But uh, I, I like the idea of Sark there at Texas. So I, I, I put him at three, and then I had TCU at number four. But, um, uh, yeah, I, I had TCU at four instead of Oklahoma State. And so I'm, I'm with you, and I, to- I told you this the other day. And I think you're kind of on the same page, too. If, if Gary Patterson has a good quarterback, an above-average quarterback, TCU is always really good. I, but when they don't have a quarterback, they're just they're mediocre to bad. And Max Duggan can be that guy. He's a veteran. He's skilled, decent thrower, better runner, but I'm assuming he's going to get better at throwing the ball. He can be that guy. So I can definitely see TCU being up there and, you know, finishing in, you know, maybe even as high as two, like you say, but it still seems kind of about a stretch to me though. Yeah. So, um, say my, so my top, I don't have Texas in my top three. Um, I've learned my lesson. It's, they're going to have to show me before I, I start to, I start to put them up kind of at, at, at that point. Um, I have Texas finishing fifth uh, behind, uh, behind Oklahoma State and Iowa State. Um, I just, they don't, you know, they, they pretty much graduated their entire offensive line. Um, we have no idea how year one in Sark in the passing game is going to work out. Um, you know, I just, I, Texas might just be kind of what Texas has been the last 10 years this season. You know, this is, this is a transition year for them. And I just, you know, I, I understand the talent is there. I understand Sark just just got off like a record-setting season with Alabama and that offense and everything, and everyone's all excited about that. But man, I've seen this story way too many times before. Um, if if Texas comes out and they look like Texas, they look like a, a powerhouse, a blue blood, then I'll 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 own up to it and I'll say it. But 
we're at this point right now where I kind of feel like if you fall into that trap again, it's shame on you. Shame on you if you if if like it's like oh, I think they're actually going to do it this year and then they go seven and five again. Uh, you know, I'm not going to do that. And so like I I really feel like TCU and Oklahoma State and Iowa State recently have just been better programs than Texas. Period. Um, so I think it makes it makes a whole lot more sense to put them ahead. Um, to go more into why I have TCU at number two, uh, here, here's essentially my my logic here. Um, I think, um, and so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna qualify this a little bit. So I think, and if you're talking about pure ceiling, I think Max Duggan is the second best quarterback in the conference. Um, now I, I say ceiling because I think up at the, up to this point. What's happened on the field, I don't really think you can make too much of a compelling case for Duggan over, over Brock Purdy, even though I think Purdy is, is, is at best a, a slightly above average college player. Um, you know, I, 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 Duggan is, is kind of scary because he's athletic. He's huge and he can run. Um, and I've seen him drop some dimes. Um, and, you know, TCU ended last season on a winning streak. They started getting Quentin Johnson um, more involved. He's a huge basketball-like receiver. He's large. He can go up and he can, he, he can you know, win jump balls over people. Um, and they also have another, uh, another receiver that is not getting a lot of headlines because he was hurt last season. And we didn't see him a whole lot, but that's J.D. Spielman, a slot receiver. He was Nebraska's leading receiver for three consecutive seasons in the Big Ten. Um, and he just, he just didn't get on the field last year because of some lingering injuries. And uh, I, I really think that TCU, if they get it right, if they get their offense, if, if they get their offense right, they get the right play caller in there. If they if if, if they do the right thing, um, I could really see TCU having sort of a breakout year, kind of like they did in 2017 when Kenny Hill was the was the quarterback. Whereas they're able to lean on their defense, which I think is going to be outstanding again. Quietly, they were the number one defense in the Big 12 last year again, quietly, um, and they 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 return a lot of guys like Kari Coleman. Uh, uh, O'Shawn Mathis, uh, who the the DB, uh, uh, Travius Hodges Tomlinson. Uh, This this is a defense that has some really talented, really athletic guys. Um, And I think, I really think that you know TCU has has the opportunity to to surprise people this season. And I'm I'm putting a lot of eggs in the Max Duggan basket. I, you know, Max Duggan really impresses me from from a physical standpoint. We'll see if he can put it together. We'll see if he can get to the point where he's able to make the right decisions, um, and we'll see if TCU's head or uh, TCU's coaching staff can put him in the right positions to utilize or you know to best utilize his advantages that he has over everybody else. Um, you know, I I was tempted to honestly put Iowa State all the way down at four, just because uh, hey I you know this is all one hundred percent. I just you know I I don't have a I respect Iowa State. For their for their blue collar mentality, for how they win football games, I just I don't respect their talent a whole lot, and maybe that's shame on me. Maybe that's shame on me. Um, I just you know I I think they they really do rely on schematic advantages to beat teams in this league, um, and I I think that's good to a point, but I think that that can't be the only thing that you rely on, especially when you're going to go up against uh, teams this season that had a full off season. Um, aren't as affected by COVID, and and just have better athletes than you. And, and I'm not, I'm not sure Iowa State's going to be able to get through uh, the conference this season as well as they did last year. I mean, just l- look at their game against Oklahoma State last season in Stillwater. Um, Oklahoma State clearly was the more talented team. They had better players. 
Um, and I, I think that's going to be the case even this year too, where you're going to, people are going to realize that, yeah, I mean, they're still, they're, they're still, you know, a step behind maybe the top teams in the big 12, especially in the trenches. You know, I, I know they bring back a lot of guys in their offensive line. I just, that, that offensive line to me last year just wasn't really that impressive to begin with. Um, and you know, this is relative to the rest of the big 12, you know, relative to the rest of the conference, it was good, but it's not, it's not an offensive line that can deal with, with OU and TCU, I, I think on a, on a regular basis in those games. So, um, I'm interested to see how that happens. And, and honestly, I, I'm, I, you know, I have Oklahoma state at fourth there. I think they could easily finish second in the league, um, anywhere between there. I, I think their defense is going to be really good. They, they got some really good players, um, on the defense, Trace Ford, uh, Trey Sterling, uh, you know, Colby Harvell Peel, that, that, that team is going to be able to get some, get some teams off the field for sure. So, um, I just, when I go down the list, Texas by far has more question marks than any of those three teams that I put ahead of them or any of the four teams I put ahead of them. And they've been, all four of those programs have been better programs than Texas over the last 11 seasons, Right. Yeah, you made some good arguments there. I'll uh, let's see here. Where was I gonna? I'm blanking. Okay, so it's essentially when it comes to Iowa State, it's Grant versus the rest of the media because, uh, yeah, next Oklahoma they had the most Big Twelve, all Big Twelve selections preseason. They had eight on the team. Oklahoma had like nine, I think, something like that, or maybe eleven. I don't know. Uh, and and I I I don't know. I I see what you mean about the offensive line. I. I was surprised to see that they had. I think they have two or three. Yeah, Downing offensive and linemen. Uh, yeah, okay, two, and then Kohler tied in, which makes sense. So they have two off. And I mean, the 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 all Big Twelve offensive line is Iowa State, Oklahoma, and then Josh Sills from Oklahoma State. Which, oh, and no, Dawson Deaton or Dayton from Texas Tech. They had, oh, they got six O linemen on there. So yeah, I was kind of surprised to see the offensive linemen from Iowa State get that kind of love. But then you look back at last year's all big 12 team i think i think one of those guys was on or both or whatever and they're kind of just uh probably write-ins and honestly when i was doing my all big 12 team which we'll get to here in a moment i couldn't decide on the offensive line i never i never got that far and since they're already out well here we go uh the only other thing i'm gonna go and live fact check you what uh what metric or, or by what stats are you using to justify that tcu was the did you say number one defense or best defense in the big 12 yeah, I think it was total defense. They led the league in total defense. Oh yeah, no, they didn't. Did they not? Remember West Vir- Remember West Virginia was. Oh, really West Virginia was a thing. That's right. Maybe I, you're right. I got them confused. Yeah, TCU was technically fourth <laughs> in the total deep, but basically TCU and Oklahoma basically had the same amount of yards allowed total defense. So their their defense last year was fine. It and they gave up five point three yards per play, which is. Not bad, but you cer- certainly a little more than Gary Patterson teams give up normally. Give up a lot of uh, explosive plays last year. A lot. Oh, yeah, that's, that's right. Uh, and honestly, the back part of the poll, it, for me, I agree with it. I have the same exact, uh, you know, whatever, 6 through 10. And honestly, we're on a kind of a tight schedule. I don't have the effort or the effort or the energy to go through it. What about, what do you think? Oh, the, the bottom half of the conference? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, it's I, Texas Tech and Kansas obviously are the layup there. Though I mean, they're clearly the two worst teams coming into the season. Um, you know, I, I I put I put K State at six. Um, wouldn't I? I thought about I thought about flipping K State and Texas actually. Um, K State's too low. They're going to surprise. They always do. Um, 
I could see Baylor having a good defense this year. I think they're going to be absolutely atrocious on the offensive side of the ball. Um, but here, here's what I put. I actually have, so my, my, the bottom half of my conference is 6K State, 7 Baylor, 8 West Virginia, uh, 9 Tech, 10 KU. Um, for whatever reason, like West Virginia had a ton, a ton of transfers this season. Um, and I don't think we really know the full story of what those transfers are or why they're happening. Is it because of, is it because of toxic culture or is it, are they purging people because of a toxic culture? Um, who knows? I just kind of feel like when you lose that many guys, and especially this is going to be sort of a transition year, I could definitely see West Virginia kind of sucking this year. What do you think about that? Uh, I haven't thought much about it, honestly. I mean, they have a, they have a returning quarterback. That helps. Uh, I know they have one of the Stills brothers back. The defense, I don't think, is supposed to be as anywhere near as good. I think offensively they're supposed to be better, but I guess I don't know about the culture. Sure, maybe, maybe the culture is bad, which we can't uh, – you know, if – you have inside info and you know about that you can factor that in i just haven't done any research on west virginia so i i do not know and the thing with kansas state i'm with you i was kind of fighting like uh eh, maybe i'll put them at six and i was kind of reading some previews on them and then it, it reminded me uh, the, the the latter part of the season in 2020 scares me about kansas state i don't know what happened chris, we both love chris Kleiman, but they were embarrassed in all but basically one of their last five games I mean, they were destroyed by West Virginia. Uh, they played Oklahoma State close. They almost beat Oklahoma State. Uh, ugly game. But then they were abs- They were even more embarrassed by Iowa State. Remember that? They got shut out 45 to nothing. That was, a, oh, that was ridiculous. Uh, they lost to Baylor. I want to say they, they blew that game. Like, I think they blew a huge lead in that game maybe. They, were, they, they lost 32 to 31. I want to say they blew that game. And then they, were, they gave up damn near 70 points against Texas. In the last game of the year, so I uh, that I mean maybe that doesn't matter at all, but that kind of sure matters. Wonder, what was going? No, yeah, maybe it doesn't matter, but that kind of makes me that. So that was like the tie for me of like, eh, what was going on with that team at the end of the year? Hopefully they, they write the ship. But also, I mean, do we do we factor in just how weird last season was? Do we give pe- sure, teams kind of a? Do we give them sort of a, a sort of a break there, especially with Skylar Thompson getting hurt? Oh, that's right. That's right. I forgot he got hurt. And yeah, that's another veteran guy that's back. That uh, all and I know all, they're going to have OU fans know that that he's uh, only good against Oklahoma for the most. And part. I know they're going to have a lot of guys on the offensive line back because they had to replace everybody from tw- from twenty nineteen last season. So, you know, I mean, it's it, yeah. listen. K State's not going to be a world beater by any stretch of the imagination, uh, but I think they're going to they're going to kind of fit very nicely into their usual role in the conference, which is sure. to be. You know, ex- you know, to be extremely annoying. That's what they're going to do, and they'll probably do it well. <laughs> All right, we have about, uh, I'm going to call it 15 minutes left, and we got three different topics to get to, so let's do our best. How about the preseason All-Big 12 team? Uh, I mean, the let's see. Obviously, Rattler, Offensive Player of the Year, everyone's going to have that. Uh, defensive player of the year the big 12 media voted mike rose from iowa state and you know me i I was on mike rose before everyone else was on mike rose i had him i think as defensive player of the year preseason a couple of years ago and because he had he was an awesome freshman linebacker and it seems like i he was named defensive player of the year a season ago that shocked me i didn't even remember that uh it it seems like he's kind of him and eisworth and i don't know they just haven't done as much 
lately as they did when they first jumped onto the scene. So my defensive player of the year was Nick Benito. I, I mean, maybe it's a homer pick, but I think he's it's not awesome. A he's, a projected first, he's a projected first-round draft pick. Could be, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if he's a top-10 pick, but, I mean, he's, he's up there. And he's a really good player. So, I, I mean, I had Nick Benito as my defensive player of the year. Did you? Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and this is, yeah, call it homer or whatever. Nick Benito is by far the best defensive player in the conference. Like, I mean, it's, it's not even particularly close, I don't think. So I think I think Mike Rose winning defensive player of the year last year was more of just kind of like a team award for Iowa State's defense. They just gave it to the the, the defense's leader. Um, Mike Rose is good. He is good. He is he is one of the well, of course three, he's good. Of course he is one good, of yes. the three best linebackers in the Big Twelve. But with him him kind of you know being <laughs> being elevated to like you know defensive player of the year, he's he is definitely knocking on the door of overrated territory for sure. Uh, newcomer like instance, of the year. Yeah, I was gonna say, like for instance, like Iowa State's, like the. It seems like whoever plays nickel for them is always the most impressive player on their defense. So, we'll see if that's the case again this year. I was gonna say newcomer of the year was Eric Gray from Oklahoma, and actually, when I was filling out my ballot, I had a tough time with that because the easy one was like, okay, like we follow Oklahoma, Eric Gray, we think he's gonna be really good, but is is there somebody else we're missing? Well, apparently, the entire conference is aware of Eric Gray. And so he's newcomer of the year, which that's fine by me. I mean, I suppose I would have voted him that way as well. Uh, as far as running backs go, they did two running backs and a fullback. And Brees Hall, Bijan Robinson got the two. Uh, that's who I voted as well, top two running backs. And I understand that you're, you're in disagreement with that, though. Yeah, but it's not, it's not like extreme dis- disagreement. Um, Brees Hall is an easy one. You just go ahead and write that one in. Um, He's he's outstanding. He's great. Um, by far, Iowa State's best player is Brees Hall. Um, let's see here. I, you know, I, I I think Kennedy Brooks probably has the best argument of anybody in the Big Twelve there. Um, and honestly, probably should have gotten it over Bajan. Uh, probably should have. Uh, Kennedy Brooks has ran for two, has ran for a thousand yards in two separate seasons in this conference. Um, I kind of feel like that's that was sort of the the easy one. Eric Gray, you know, not putting him there. You can you can you can definitely forgive that. This may be this may sound crazy to anyone who's listened to this podcast, you know, for for years or at least since the beginning of last season. Uh, but Deuce Vaughn d- deserved it over Bajan. <laughs> oh, I was going to ask you if you were thinking Deuce Vaughn. Oh man, I just love how your your Deuce Vaughn takes and hate has. Here's the thing: I I'm not a big Deuce Vaughn guy either. I'm not. A, I, I was not as anti Deuce Vaughn as you were immediately. I think he's kind of a bit player, but for whatever reason, people love him. I think it's because he's so small and they remind him of Darren Sproles. I was going to say, uh, I think Kennedy Brooks is probably getting a demerit because he, he didn't play last year. That's probably a big reason why he wasn't there. Yeah, uh, I agree. But if, if there was three running backs, in the past, there's been three running backs. Uh, I, I think Brooks would have been the third, but I put in my notes that the media probably would have voted Deuce Vaughn as the third running back, and that would have made you uh, cringe. But it sounds like you're, you're coming around more on Deuce Vaughn. And, nah, Deuce you know, Vaughn is an absolute... Kinda, Good. What? No. no I was gonna say no, I mean, I, I, in, in, in space, he's just he's he's absurdly dangerous in space. Yeah. Uh, all right. So looking at the wide receivers, Hutchinson from Iowa State, Marvin Mims obviously from from OU, and uh, Ezu Ezu Kanma from Texas Tech. And honestly, as I was going through my research, I mean Mims and Hutchinson, I think were the two obvious ones, and I had Ezu Kanma as well from Texas Tech. He quietly had a really good year last year. 
there's not a whole lot of great returning wide receivers there's in not. this conference. Yeah, so actually, yeah, uh, I think, I think, uh, gosh, is it Kanma? Is that how you, is that how you pronounce it? I've been struggling with this. I've never all said afternoon. the guy's name until until thirty seconds ago. Izukanma. Okay, so yeah, I was actually looking. Him and Hutchinson finished two and three last season in the Big Twelve in receiving yards behind Tylen Wallace. Um, so I mean, that's what was going on there. And and honestly, I can't really logically. Can you really say anything against that? I mean, it's no, no. I I don't really think you can. No. Like I, you know, I think I think I think Xavier Hutchinson is fine. Um, I think he's. I think he's a good player. I don't think he's outstanding by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, Mims obviously is great, but yeah, I, I feel like if you put anyone else in there, you're, you're very likely you're just kind of throwing something against the wall. Um, I have a really hard time believing that Oklahoma State is not going to have a first team uh, receiver. Kind of seems like they always find somebody just random. So I know, like this year, I think Brennan Presley might be that guy yeah. for them. Yeah, Brennan Presley is kind of the quiet guy that people i mean we saw him in the bowl game that he's gonna be a pretty electric player for oklahoma state or he's supposed to be yeah and so like if if, if you ask me what i think this this list is going to look like at the end of the season i think it's going to be three of of these four uh mims hazelwood uh um brennan presley and quentin johnston from tcu i think it's gonna be three of those four guys man it'd be great to see hazelwood on that list because we've been waiting for we've been waiting for that uh, obviously, Kohler. Mike Woods is going to shock the world. It's going to be Mike Woods there. Oh, yeah. Arkansas guy. Uh, obviously, Kohler, tight end. Uh, offensive line goes Trevor Downing, Colin Newell from Iowa State, Marquise Hayes. And uh, I was surprised to see Wanya Morris get on there for Oklahoma. Uh, transfer, obviously. Josh Sills and then Dawson Deaton. I don't have any thoughts on the offensive line at all. Just, just that I'm surprised that Wanya made it. Yeah, I mean clearly getting there on reputation um and i mean also, marquis hayes getting there just based on seniority i think that and yeah i mean marquis he's hayes and, and, and is he's good he's good don't get me wrong it's he's just, good marquis hayes has guard. dominated at times he's not very consistent um yeah i one of the one of the interesting things always about these teams is you know if, when the media is filling it out are you are you doing it like as as it stands right now or are you predicting what it's going to be at the end of the season i generally prefer to do it you know, predicting what it's going to be at the end of the year. So yeah, same here. That's why. Yeah. And so like, for instance, like with running backs, I think, you know, I, I think, I, I think the the two first team running backs are going to be Eric Gray and, and, and Bajan Robinson in all likelihood. Um, I think Bajan's probably going to be, probably going to have a really good season. Um, I don't know. It, it's an interesting team. I, I really didn't have in terms of, of media, all big 12 teams. This one was not particularly egregious. I didn't think. All right, and then uh, obviously Gabe Burkich is the kicker. Uh, he is the best returning kicker. I was looking at the stats. And then Phillip Brooks, Kansas State, the, the special teamer, the returner. Uh, man, he's little. He's 5'7", 167. I didn't know, I guess. But he's, he's got good return stats. He, what a shocker. Kansas State's got a good pump returner and kick returner. Uh, on defense, let's see. I think this is where there might be a little more disagreement because I, I filled out my entire defensive team. Let me look here. So... The Let's issue on defense one, is just is is with how they is with how they label the positions. I mean that that's the that's the issue with it. Yeah, yeah. I I'm always I, Nick Benito. I know is technically a, a linebacker. I shouldn't say I know. Uh, I I just in my head he's like he's a defensive end. He's like a stand up defensive end, but he's not. I know he's not, and I'm wrong about that. 
So when I was going through this list, I put him as a D lineman. <laughs> I was like Nick Benito, D line, but I guess technically he's not. I know he's he's uh, he's what the rush linebacker. What is what is, is he the rush linebacker? Yeah, rush. For yeah, yeah. And everyone calls him Edge. That's, that's the thing that puts call. Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. So that's technically a linebacker. So yeah, I'm dumb. I I had Benito as a D lineman. Okay, he's supposed to be a linebacker. I fine. think you putting him at D line is more is much more uh, much more accurate than linebacker. Well, I mean, but he he's listed as a linebacker. That's what he made the team as. So the the D line for Big Twelve, uh, Will McDonald from Iowa State, Isaiah Thomas from OU, Perrion Winfrey from OU, O'Shawn Mathis TCU, and Dante Stills from West Virginia. Do you have any thoughts on that? Do you agree? Um, honestly, I would probably remove Mathis and Stills. Um, Kari Coleman is is TCU's best defensive lineman. He should be there over O'Shawn Mathis. Um, and and I'd put. I'd put Trace Ford in there over Dante Stills. I know they play different positions, uh, but if we're just putting the best defensive lineman in the conference, I think they're. I think it's Isaiah oh. Thomas, Perry and Winfrey, Kari Coleman, and and Trace Ford. See, I was cool with with uh, Stills, Winfrey, Thomas, McDonald, and then you know, I had Benito at D line, which was wrong. So I guess you have that extra defensive lineman, and I, I don't have any thoughts on Mathis. So when I had Benito as an extra D lineman, that means I had an extra linebacker to pick which is the next, the next level of defense. And the linebackers are Terrell Bernard, Mike Rose, obviously, and then Nick Benito, obviously, because he's a linebacker. For me, you know, I had Rose and Bernard, but then I had an open linebacker spot because I had Benito at D-line. And so my third linebacker, I put Malcolm Rodriguez. He's a really yeah, good that's, player. That's what I had, too. Which, again, Benito's a linebacker technically, so, I mean, in a way, Malcolm Rodriguez gets, uh, gets snubbed because of his position, because Nick Benito doesn't matter, whatever. Uh, but then the defensive backs go. Uh, Jalen Petrie, cool with. He freaking killed Oklahoma last year. Greg Eisworth, I actually did not have him on my on my team. He to me, he just he's a good player, but he is not he has not really gotten much better since he got to Iowa State. He's kind of just there, and he, he's always uh, he's always injury prone as well. Did you have Eisworth uh, he, on your team? Uh, no, I didn't. I had Trey Sterling there instead. So did I. So did I. Trey Sterling is a really good player. Uh, Colby Harvell Peel made it. I also had him on my my team. He's a really good player as well. He thought about the NFL, but didn't make sense for him. Uh, Travius Hodges Tomlinson, obviously from TCU, and uh, Deshaun Jameson from Texas made it, which I did not have him on my team. I had a guy named Alonzo Aday from West Virginia, who I think I went through some PFF stuff, and I think he had some pretty good numbers, so I threw him on there. And then uh, Austin McNamara apparently is obviously the best punter coming back from Texas Tech. Any other thoughts on the defense? Uh, no, not really. I uh, My second corner spot, I put DJ Graham for fun. See, I didn't even do it by cornerback safety. I just did it the best defensive backs, just I, I, straight yeah, up. Yeah, I, I did too. I, I was like, I, it could have been, could've been it. five safeties, you know. But no, I, I got you. So the next topic, and we got a couple minutes left. I just want to bring up this nil being in full effect because the last episode we had it had not gone into effect and on july 1st july 2nd we saw all of these endorsement deals coming out it obviously people had negotiated things behind the scenes and they were waiting for july 1st to announce it very similar to you know nba free agency nfl free agency where obviously people have been talking behind the scenes but then uh when the clock strikes midnight or whatever then they announce it even though they weren't supposed to be negotiating and so the big one for us, obviously, doing Oklahoma football is Spencer Rattler was out there right away. He's on Cameo. Uh, if you want to get a cool message, well, <laughs> I should, a message, 
from Spencer Rattler. It's going to cost you a cool one hundred and twenty-five dollars, uh, and he can uh, give you some sort of wisdom or whatever you want him to say. Uh, but also, he's got a uh, a website now. He's got his own brand. You can buy some Spencer Rattler gear. <laughs> and uh, the most important thing he's doing though is he's hawking raisin canes, which is, I mean, legendary status. I would love to know what he what he gets from that. Can he get it whenever he wants? Is it a limited thing? Anyways, all I've seen him is just tweet about it once, so it might not be that big of a deal, but uh, that's my favorite one, Spencer Rattler. I have not seen any other OU players that have announced anything. Granted, I'm not, I'm not like following every OU football player on Twitter. I'm not checking everything, so maybe I've missed something. I think have Hazelwood, uh, Hazelwood announced that he signed with like an agent or something. Um, okay. That was that was NIL all I saw. Agent. Yeah, that's all I saw uh, for for players. Um, oh man, I've been jonesing for Canes so hard lately. <laughs> There's a lot of them here in the Twin Cities, but I'm a I'm in I'm in like a weird spot where the closest one to me is like 15 miles away. Um, and mm. I used I used to live like just 200 yards away from one. It's so it's just ah, it's too bad. <laughs> um, no, the NIL stuff it's it's kind of died down a little bit since last week. Um, yeah. And uh, you and I, we've, we've kind of had some conversations about this off the air, but I, I think you and I are in agreement here. It's, this thing's just going to be really messy for the first handful of years um, while, while everyone sort of figures out how it's going. I mean, everyone is playing by different rules, too. So this is going to get weird. It's going to get weird. I know Oregon has already really leveraged the Nike brand a ton in their recruiting. Um, I'm not sure if that is going to be allowed in the future. Uh, but hey, I mean, we're, this is going to be the, the test run. This is the trial run. Um, so we'll see what happens. I don't know. I, I, I don't, my, my feeling is it's, it's just, it's, it's probably not going to be that, that big of a deal. I, I think what's going to happen is, is, is the most visible, biggest star players are going to be the ones making the money. People who are, who are kind of more anonymous, they aren't going to make anything. I, I think that's kind of, it's, it, it's going to benefit the people who are going to make a lot of money off their likeness anyway. That makes sense. Well, yeah, it'll benefit people that would like Spencer Rattler, who can strike a bunch of deals and make money. But it also is going to benefit a bunch of random, small sport people. Like for instance, I mean, you saw the these two twin sisters that play for Fresno State women's basketball. Have you seen that? They're on. Apparently, they have three plus million TikTok followers, and they signed a deal with Boost Mobile. So, female athletes that have a giant social media following. College athletes, I mean, that's easy money for them that they otherwise would not have been able to make until they were out of college. Uh, and who knows if they would have still had that kind of opportunity. Maybe they would have, but at least now they're able to, to cash in on it immediately, which is, is cool with me. And also, I think it's interesting that and we may have touched on this before, but what about Olympic sports, swimmers, track and field athletes? You go up to Oregon, uh, where they always have the national championships, I think it's Hayward Field. I know Oregon's real big into track and field. Again, I work down in College Station. Texas A&M is big into track and field. Down in the SEC, there's lots of track and field type, uh, lots of track and field schools. They always win a lot of titles. Point being, regionally in those college towns, there could be a big, a big, I shouldn't say big, there could be a decent amount of people that love watching track and field and would love to utilize some of those athletes to sell some of their products and I think that's great because normally whenever you're a track and field athlete or you're a swimmer or any of those Olympic sports, unless you're the cream of the crop and you can be an Olympian or something like that, you're not going to really make any money 
professionally when you get done. But in this scenario, in theory, you can make money whenever you're as hot as you're probably ever going to be in college. That's a good thing. So I, I do think that even though a lot of people probably aren't going to be able to capitalize off this, there are some random sports and some random at, uh, student athletes that will be able to make some money off this. And that's a good thing. Yeah, I like that. Uh, that example you brought up, it makes me think of someone like Katie Ledecky, um, you know, who is remember sure. she, she won a ton of gold medals and I can't remember. It was at London or something a long time ago. And I'm sure um, she's made a lot of money professionally as well because she great Olympic swimmer but I mean, even she, in college she probably she's, could have made more oh yeah she could have been a millionaire in, in college easily at Stanford yeah. after that after that Olympic performance so stuff like that is like obviously okay with anybody's got three million followers on social media that's totally fine totally fine you know I don't I, I don't I don't think that's going to negatively really impact anything where I, I think the slope gets a little slippery of course is when is when that stuff starts to come in uh, to recruiting and football and basketball recruiting obviously um, you know, you know, every program, all the blue bloods are going to absolutely, you know, take that to its limit. And in a, in a climate where they don't really have any rules, why, why wouldn't you at this point in time? So, well, here's the thing though, uh, it, the schools can't do that. It's the companies like the schools can't go to like, Oregon can't go to Nike and be like, Hey, listen, Nike, you should oh, start offering Lee. a bunch of money. Oh, Lee. <laughs> I, yeah, they, but they, you're right. They may not be I, I get allowed what you're to do I, that. Okay, sure. But here's the thing, though. That's I don't see what's wrong with that. Like, if you're if you're somebody that, let's say, it's just understood that if you go to Oregon, Nike's gonna gonna offer you an NIL. So what? So what? That that's within the rules. I mean, this thing at Miami, I get people are like, oh, this this you know business owner in Miami, this that's like owns a boxing gym, is offering every single. Miami football player, uh, $500 a month if he wants to, you know, if they want to hawk his gym or whatever like that. To me, it's like, okay, that's the point. Uh, if student athletes feel like that's the main reason they want to go to a college, uh, depending on where it is, and not necessarily think to, you know, this school is going to be able to do their best to get me in the NFL, but I can make a, you know, a couple grand here and there, and that, that's more important to them. Okay, great. They'll go. I, I just don't think it's going to be that big of a deal. I mean, and, and also, I just don't anticipate Nike. Nike can't offer every single Oregon student athlete 25K or something like that. or Because, I mean, at some point, it's not going to be good business for them. It's not going to make any sense. Uh, but, obviously, they could offer, if there's a stud, if there's another Marcus Mariota or whatever like that, and Nike wants to get involved, then, hey, to me, so what? I, I, I think that's going to happen... To a player like that anywhere so i just don't think that that's that big of a deal i yeah i, I don't see that happening no yeah i mean if i i don't think some guy who was going to pick alabama because of the people that they put in the nfl is all of a sudden going to go to oregon because of nike i, I don't i don't i don't think that's gonna ohio state alabama georgia they're still they're all going to get the recruits still still um because they put guys in the nfl that that's that's the number one reason why um but but like I said, it's going to be messy. It's going to be messy. I think I, sure. I think this is this is definitely a situation. Just kind of sit back a little bit. Sit back to see what happens. Um, oh, yeah. I know you know I've been I'm a little forceful, a little emotional on this at times. But it's okay to just kind of pause, sit back, wait to see what happens. Um, there's going to be this is going to be heavily regulated after a few years, I would guess. One thing that you don't hear many people talking about, and I was actually talking about it last night at uh, News Nine with Dusty Dvorak and John Holcomb who works in Tulsa, KOTV. Some of you may know Johnny's awesome. 
this could lead to there's never going to be full parody or whatever, but this could lead to more of a parody situation where let's say you're a four star guy and you want to go to OU. How many random four star guys go to all these big time SEC, Big 12, ACC, Big 10 schools, but then kind of wash out, don't play a whole lot. And, you know, they go there thinking like, okay, I want to go to this big school and I'm good enough and I'm going to end up starting and I'm going to go to the NFL. Maybe more of these four-star type players, if they know that they can become a stud at smaller schools, group of five type schools and play a lot more and make a name for themselves in that community. And they know that, hey, if I'm starting and playing a lot at, say, South Florida or Memphis and in that region in that city i'm one of the best players on the team and potentially somebody can come over and give me money for nil whereas if i was at ou there's a there's a chance i'm on the bench for a year or two and i'm not i'm not making any money i think that's a thing that maybe some prospects could consider moving forward which in a way could lead to more again i I use the word parody but potentially maybe there's some more talented players that go and spread out around college football i'm curious to see if that works out i'm not i'm not sure if it'll work out that cleanly i think any sort of trends that we're going to see it's not going to be apparent for a decade at least probably sure um sure i you know this isn't this is not going to hurt ou like at all like this is you know as, as an ou fan we always they're blue blood this is all of the rules are going to benefit them period so you know i, I it's it's something i'm really trying not to get bent out of shape on and the more that i try the easier the, the easier it is but I think your stance is correct. This is a sit back. Let's watch what happens. Like anything, there's going to be some kinks to iron out. But I think after a year or two or whatever, it's just going to be kind of accepted and it's just going to be the norm and it'll be fine. Uh, all right. We got to I, I, I got to get moving. So one more topic that we haven't even talked about really at all in this episode, but it caught my eye the other day and it's from CBS Sports and I'll say the author of the piece. And here's the thing. I mean, your job is to write about college football, Ben Kirkoval, and our job is, well, we're do, we do this for fun, but technically my job sometimes is to report on college football. doesn't matter. When you're out there and you have to put out a bunch of pieces and content, I get it, but here's the thing. You, you opine, and then people can give their thoughts and your opinion. And this Big 12 coaching rankings list from CBS Sports' Ben Kirkoval, I tweeted out the other day. I said, is this a bit? Like, is this, is this kind of a joke? Uh, and here's why. The top two, okay, fine. You go Lincoln Riley and Matt Campbell. And honestly, you can make the argument that Matt Campbell shouldn't even be number two. But I think whatever. Got, I'm, I'm not gonna I think the ar- top four is right. Sure. Okay, so it goes Riley, Campbell, Gundy, Patterson. And if you want to go over time, you could probably you – could, you could go flip-flop with Gundy and Patterson. I mean, they're both really good coaches. Yeah. Heck. Uh, but anyways, top four, you can't really complain about. Number five. And honestly, I didn't even remember Kansas hired this guy. Lance Leopold. Is it Leopold? I, so they have Kansas's coach at number five, and I, I kind of read a little blurb on it. He just he likes this guy a lot. And honestly, this is unprofessional of me, but I couldn't even tell you where he came from. I don't even know Buffalo. where they got him from. So he's the most recent Buffalo coach. All right. So, okay. So you like Lance Leopold. Maybe he's a great coach. Maybe he is. I don't know. He's at Kansas. Uh, put him five. He hasn't even coached a game yet. Then you go Chris Kleiman at six, Neil Brown seven, Sarkeesian at eight. Matt Wells, nine, and then Dave Aranda down at 10. So, I mean, the glaring issue is, is, is Leopold at five. I mean, I'm sorry, man. 
you could be a great coach. We're not going to know unless Kansas. I mean, I, I guess we'll find out in the first year, right? If Kansas looks competent, maybe he is a good coach. Maybe this is a, a good list. But putting him at five when he hasn't coached a game yet, it's pretty nuts whenever Chris Kleiman's in the same conference. Uh, Neil, Brown's got, Neil, Neil Brown's got a pretty decent track record. Uh, I know Sark has taken some years off of being a head coach. Sark does not uh, have a great track at, record, record as a head coach. No, he, he doesn't. You're right. He doesn't. Uh, but, man, yeah, you know what? It, Sark at eight actually is kind of defensible now that I... I, I think I, Sark I at eight is... Uh, Sark at eight's probably correct. Huh. I think. Yeah, um, I just... I, I, like, I like Dave Aranda a lot, man. And having him as the worst coach in the Big 12 seems weird to me. So I, here's... Here's what I think about this. I, I think I, I think the top five in the conference uh, is Riley Campbell, Gundy, uh, Patterson, and Kleiman, and then I think there's a large gap between the bottom after that, uh, where like where we currently stand. Um, and so all I know for sure on this list is that Matt Wells and Lance Leopold should be at the bottom. Matt, Matt Wells should probably be t- <laughs> Matt Wells should probably be tenth actually. Um, I just he's not Matt Wells is is not long for the Big 12 world, I don't think. Yeah, he needs to have a good year this season. And, and I'm with you. Kleiman's definitely in the top five as well. And I, Dave Aranda is a, is, is a national championship you know, winning defensive coordinator. And I, you know, Sark's a national championship winning offensive coordinator. Um, I, just, like, I saw Dave Aranda's defense last season, and it's, it was good. Like, and I know Baylor wasn't good last year, but... <laughs> See, I... I, I think I think Aranda and Sark are probably right right there behind the top five. Because and I'm basing Aranda kind of what you just said a moment ago. Aranda has had excellent success in the two times his teams have faced Oklahoma. Obviously with LSU, they beat the crap out of them and the defense did really well. And then with a a Baylor team last season, I know it was a weird situation. Oklahoma had some guys out, but so did Baylor. And Baylor's defense gave Oklahoma tons of fits. So Aranda has Riley's offense kind of figured out. So I'll give him credit for that. Chris Kleiman's beaten Lincoln Riley now twice, right? My yeah, yeah, twice, two years in a row. So so it, you beat Oklahoma, then I'm going to put you up there. That that's I'm going to kind of base it off of. So Kleiman's definitely up there in the top five. And you know Matt Wells, Neil Brown, they haven't really done much to. Uh, I, I guess. I guess that that game, that Texas Tech game a couple of years ago was weird. Was Wells there? That Wells has been there the for Kyler two years. Murray game. No, he's been there twenty nine. Okay. Uh, no, Cliff was the was the coach in twenty eighteen. Oh, you're right, Cliff. So because that was then. Bowman. Because you know, that's when everybody talked themselves into thinking yeah. Alan Bowman was good when it was all Cliff. Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, basically the. Not having Chris Kleiman in the top five is is crazy, and then the Kansas coach being in the top five is is, is a leap of faith. But when uh, when KU goes uh, six and six this year, uh, wow, that would be something. Then uh, Ben Kirkoval will come back and be like, "Told you guys, this guy's a great coach." See, like I think this guy knows what he's doing. You know that top five that I mentioned with with Kleiman, sort of, um, you know, the bookend with Riley and Campbell, Gundy and Patterson. I mean, I think I think Neil Brown, Sark, and Aranda are kind of all grouped in the same group. Um, kind of like, yeah, let's wait and see. And then, sure. I, and then I feel like 
Lance Leopold is probably ninth because he's hardcore. Let's wait and see. He's got he's got a track record of turning around Buffalo and making them a competent program. That's pretty impressive. Let's wait and see on him. Matt Wells, we've seen him in this conference. He's not good. He doesn't. He's he's he hasn't done well. I think that's a great way to close that segment out. All right, we are uh, going to call it. Uh, let's see. Not sure what the next episode will be. Uh, potentially next week. We'll see. We'll see if there's any good Big 12 Media Day stuff to talk about. Uh, but uh, from here on out, Grant and I are off to Vegas, and um, we will let you know if we make any cool futures college football bets. Sound about right, Grant? Sounds perfect. Uh, guy, we're getting close. We're getting really close. Um, it's it, it's The season's going to be here before you know it. You're going to look up, and it's going to be here. Um, I got to think, we're going to be starting in on our preview series here pretty soon, I got to think. All right. Well, until next time, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.